Well, if you were with us last week, uh, we started Jesus' masterclass on the Lord's Prayer. Who better to learn from about prayer than Jesus himself? Uh, the disciples ask him, teach us how to pray. He gives this masterclass. Uh, you probably know the Lord's Prayer. Everyone does. Uh, but chances are maybe you mumble through it and don't think about what it actually means. It is so beautiful. We saw that every line of the Lord's Prayer is so deep that you could preach a sermon on each line, and yet so simple that even a kid can pray it. And what we saw last week is that the Lord's Prayer, the first half of it, is all about God. It's all about God's glory. It's all about God's holiness, that He is our Father, that He loves us, and it's orienting our hearts to wanting to see His will be done. Before it even gets to our needs, because often when we pray, we just jump into our needs, how refreshing we saw to start, start with God, put everything into perspective. And so today we're going to jump into the second half when we get to praying for ourselves. Before we do that, though, before we look at the Lord's Prayer, this masterclass, what I want us to quickly do is look at what Jesus says about how not to pray. Because right before the Lord's Prayer and right after the Lord's Prayer, he talks about what not to do. You see there in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, do not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. What's he saying? How not to pray? Don't pray for a show. Don't pray for a show. I mean, it's okay to pray out loud, but God sees your heart. Don't be a hypocrite just praying for a show on outside appearances. God doesn't need that. Then he goes on, verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they'll be, they think they'll be heard because of their many words. What's Jesus saying? How not to pray? Don't use fancy words for the sake of it. Empty words as though God's got bad hearing and you've got to get his attention or you've got to say the right formulas or the right words. God is interested in our hearts. And then he does the same thing. He talks about hypocrites again after the Lord's Prayer. Jump down to verse 16. He says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Uh, this week, uh, you might have seen in emails, many people in our church are going to be fasting. Uh, fasting uh, is traditionally giving up food. Uh, often it's giving up other things. And uh, why do we fast? As, as someone once said, does fasting bring you into the presence of God? Well, it will if you fast too long. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not why we do it. Why do we fast? It, it, it is, what we're doing is we actually are trying to grow our hunger for God and not our hunger for the world. We're trying to depend on God, and humble ourselves before Him. Now, the Bible never tells us explicitly to fast. New Testament never tells us explicitly to fast, but it's a good thing to do. Jesus fasted for 40 days. The apostles fasted. But Jesus' point here is that, yeah, fasting's a good thing. When you fast, He says, He assumes you fast. But again, don't be a hypocrite, because what these people were doing is they were making themselves look really disfigured. So the people would pass them and go, oh, look at that person. They must be fasting. They look so hungry. They look so in need. 
uh, how impressive, how religious they are. And Jesus says, don't be like that. If you're fasting this week, don't be putting it on Instagram, hashtag suffering for the gospel, um, whatever it might be. No, you know, just like the Lord's Prayer, I think that's why he launches into the Lord's Prayer, because the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. Not about our needs, not about our glory, but all about God, his glory, his needs. And so that's why he jumps into this masterclass, the Lord's Prayer. He talks about what not to do, attention on us. And then he goes, what to do? Attention on God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Well, this morning we're going to jump into the second half, the second half of the Lord's Prayer. And I've got four points. They all start with P, like every good preacher. Providence, pardon or forgiveness, protection, and praise. Let's look at the first one. The prayer goes on praying for providence, for provision, provision. Verse 11, it says, give us today our daily bread. It's not praying for literal bread here. It's a prayer for what we need. Uh, Many of us will be familiar with this line. I want to break it down almost word by word. Firstly, give. Give us today our daily bread. Our God is a God who loves to give. He is a generous God. He is a God who provides for all of our needs because he is our Father. And so when we pray this prayer, give us, we are acknowledging that everything we have comes from him. We are showing our dependence on him for our food, for our finances, for our relationships, for our health. God, give. We're in total dependence. Now, I think we forget this. If we're hungry, we just go off to Woolies or Coles, we buy more food. We forget that everything comes from God. I think the rural farmers in Australia, they feel that lots more. Uh, we just go off to Woolies. But we've got to remember the, and humble ourselves, God, you are the giving God. Give us our daily bread. I went to Bible college with a guy called Tawanda, and he's from Zimbabwe. And someone asked him, Tawanda, what's the biggest difference you notice between Christians in Zimbabwe and Christians in Sydney? And he said, when you Christians in Sydney pray grace at the start of your prayers, you're not excited. When we say grace, we're excited because there's actually food. This is a humble prayer. God, you are the giving God. Give us. The next word, give us today our daily bread. Give us. You can pray this prayer on your own, but actually the Lord's Prayer is designed to be prayed together. We pray for each other's needs, not just our own. I love the moments in our connect groups where we gather together and pray for each other's needs, share our struggles, share our burdens. That's what our church is on about. And we pray, God, show me how I can meet the needs of others. Show me the resources you've given me where I can help others. God, would you provide the needs of the poor in my community? Would you provide the needs of those around our world who are in need? Give us. The next word. Give us today our daily, daily bread. 
We're living in a time right now where cost of living has gone up, hasn't it? And I know from talking to many of you, you are feeling anxious or you're feeling burdened. How are you going to pay next month's mortgage? How are you going to pay for school fees next month? How are you going to cover the needs that are coming up? But notice the prayer Jesus gives is not, God, give us today next month's bread. Or give us a six-month buffer of bread. It's give us our daily bread. Now, that's significant, isn't it? Because this is actually acknowledging that God provides for our needs day by day. Now, we find that hard to do, don't we? To actually trust God for our needs day by day. Do you remember when COVID hit, 2020? Of course we all remember it. Or we shoved it into our uh, subconscious. When COVID hit, everyone went out and panic bought. And i got to confess, I remember being in Coles and something came over me and I bought like six cans of baked beans. Because I was just thinking, i got to stock up. And then there was the whole toilet paper thing. People just hoarding toilet paper. In fact, you know, even at our church, we had people break in and steal our toilet paper. It's a true story. People were not trusting God for their daily toilet paper. They were stocking it up months out. And this prayer, it just goes in the, against that. It's, it's daily bread. God is saying, trust me, day by day, I'm with you, trust me. Let's look at the next word. Give us today our daily bread. Our kids sometimes are a bit mischievous at dinner time and they don't eat dinner. And we encourage them to eat it. We say, you're going to be hungry. They say, no, 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 they don't eat it. And then, of course, it gets to like 8.30, 9 p.m. They call out from their bed, Mom, Dad, I'm hungry. Now, we don't want to give them their dinner that they didn't eat because it kind of reinforces, you know, we want to show them their consequences. But we also got compassion on them. We don't want them to go to bed hungry. And so what we've been doing, there might be better parenting styles, what we do is we say, okay, you can have a slice of plain bread. <laughs> and we give them a slice of plain bread just to fill their, fill their hunger. Now, why, here's why I think that's a good strategy is because it's going to fill their stomach, but it's not that exciting, is it? It's just bread. And Jesus here, he says, pray for your daily bread. He's not praying, saying, pray for your toasted bread with smashed avo. He's not saying, pray for your entry into the Sydney property market or, or pray for a new car or pray for a new promotion. And by the way, you can pray for those things, I think. It's okay, God, you can pray about everything to God. But this prayer is a prayer for our needs. I think the thing is, we want more than bread, don't we? We're not content with just bread. We want holidays or clothes, new clothes. We want to be able to eat out. Now, this is a real challenging prayer, I reckon. It comes off the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were in the wilderness. God gave them bread every day, manna. And they were told, collect the manna in the morning, just enough for a day. If you collect more, it will spoil. Daily bread. God is saying again, just trust me. Day by day, be content 
in your daily needs being provided. You know, I think most of all this prayer, we see it in Jesus. Jesus says he is the bread of life. The bread of life. He says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. I am the bread of life. I've come to give my life for the world. If you want all your needs fulfilled, if you want that longing that you've been searching to meet totally met forever, it's Jesus, the living bread, the one who died for you, the one who gave up his life for you. Give us today our daily bread. Let's look at the next line of the prayer. It's a prayer for pardon, a prayer for forgiveness. Verse 12, it says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we pray this prayer as a church, we uh, word it slightly differently. We say, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. That word debt is another word for our sin. Because we have failed God. We have rebelled against him. We have fallen short of his holy perfection. And it is a debt. It is a debt we can never repay. We can never repay it. What we need is someone perfect to pay our debt for us. And Jesus Christ has done just that. He died for you to pay your debts. He died for you so that you do not have to suffer or be punished for your sin because you are washed clean. Your debt is paid once and for all by his precious blood. Isn't that the most beautiful news? It's so beautiful, I think, remembering that we're forgiven. It's so comforting. It's so wonderful. If you're here this morning and you've never asked God to forgive you for your debt of sin, stop trying to pay the debt yourself. You never will. God is a God of such grace and love. He gave up his son for you and he wants to forgive you. If only you ask. If only you ask. I love this prayer. It's a prayer, even as Christians, those of us who already ask for forgiveness from God, we've got to keep praying it, keep humbling ourselves before God and remembering that without His love and grace, we are nothing. Our debt has been paid. It's been paid in full. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the debt is really paid? A hundred percent. There's nothing left. He's paid it all. Well, if we believe that God forgives us, what we should do is then forgive others. That's the next line of the prayer. Uh, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. Now, at the end of last year, I preached on forgiving others from Matthew chapter 18. You can go into the church website and hear it. And so I just want to be really quick here and say, forgiving others, it is not easy. But the way we know that we've grasped that God has forgiven us is if we are ready to forgive others. And this is a prayer saying, God, it's re- I, I've got a colleague that I've got to forgive. I've got a grudge against a family member, and it's so hard 
to forgive him. It's so hard to let these feelings go. God, would you help me to forgive just like you have forgiven me? Provision. Pardon. Number three. Protection. Verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, There's a story of two men under the reign of Bloody Mary who were facing their death. They were to be burned at the stake. Burned at the stake for being Christians. One of these men was super proud and was bragging about the fact that when he faces that burning fire, he would never give up on God. He'd never deny God. He'd always be faithful. The second man was nervous. He admitted that he found suffering really scary. He admitted that he, he was worried about the flames, and he was worried that when he felt the heat of the flames on his skin, he would deny Jesus. And so he asked the people around him to pray for him, pray for strength. The first man laughed and scoffed and said, You coward, I'll never give up on Jesus. And the day came for them both to be executed. And that first proud man, as soon as he got close to the flames, abandoned Jesus so that he could be set free. But the second man is recorded to have been praying out loud, Father, lead me not into temptation. Lead me not into temptation. There are going to be moments all of us are going to face opportunities to be tempted. It may not be giving up Jesus when we're being burned at the stake, but all kinds of times throughout the day when we'll be tempted. And rather than being proud, the Bible says we need to actually ask for God's help. So Jesus says, pray. Pray that we would be led from temptation. Temptation can come in a bunch of ways. It can come from the evil one. So it says there, lead us from the evil one. Satan, he wants you to give up on God. He wants you to abandon God. He wants to tempt you. It can come from our circumstances. We might go through a really hard time in life. And that could be an opportunity to grow, but also an opportunity to be tempted Or it can come from within, sinful desires. Maybe I'll just give up on Jesus here. Maybe I'll just look at this online or or cheat here and no one will know. Now, God never tempts us. He never tempts us. But this prayer is saying, God, would you lead us from situations where we might be tempted? From places where our sinful desires we might succumb to? Lead us from it, God. Protect us. I wonder what the moments, those situations where you might be tempted. Maybe it's when you're hangry, you're hungry, you're tired. Wait, yes, hangry, hungry, you're hangry, you're hungry, you're tired. And for me, when I'm in those moments, it's so much easier for me to be irritable, to be angry. Maybe it's that friend that's just bugging you. Maybe it's hanging out with those group of friends. You know they always gossip and make fun of others, and you're going to be tempted to join in. Maybe it's late at night. No one else is awake. You're in front of your computer. Whatever it is, 
We've got to pray, God, lead me from temptation. And if you pray that prayer, I want to look up on the screen. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's a beautiful promise. It says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Friends, whatever temptation you face, God will always provide a way out. He is with you by his powerful Holy Spirit. You can win the battle because Jesus has won the battle. And he has defeated Satan on the cross. His days are numbered. And so the battle against sin and temptation can be won, not in your strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? Lead us not into temptation. Provision, pardon, protection, and lastly, the end of the Lord's Prayer is praise. And when we say the Lord's Prayer in church, for those of you who've been in church for a while, you know we finished the Lord's Prayer with the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. And if you've got your Bible in front of you, you might be thinking, hang on, where the heck is that? That is not in there. And you're right, it's not in there. Some of you might have a little uh, footnote there where it adds it. Here's the thing. There are a whole bunch of Bible nerds who have, I learned about it at Bible college. I was amazed by it. I didn't realize they've they've invested their whole life in doing the most nerdy stuff, looking at manuscripts and making sure that every word in your Bible is as reliable as possible. And we should thank God for them. I'm so thankful that they're doing that job and not me. And basically, the earliest manuscripts we have do not have that. Does that mean we shouldn't pray it? Well, actually, there's still some, some old manuscripts out there that do have it. And it's kind of using the ideas from the beginning of the Lord's Prayer anyway, so it's good to pray. And it uses stuff from 1 Chronicles, so it's a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to pray, even if it may not have been in those first manuscripts. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. It's kind of like the grand finale to a musical. The grand finale. And what I love is it ends the prayer just like as the prayer, just like the prayer began. To God be the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The prayer begins with God, and it ends with God. How do you know God will hear you? Because to him be the kingdom, the power, and the glory. How do you know God will do something about your prayers? Because it's to him be the power and the glory. And so, friends, as you think back over these two weeks on this Lord's Prayer, I want to encourage you again. Will you make this prayer your prayer? It is not the only way to pray, but it is a great prayer. And as I said last week, I want to encourage you to to be a bit like a jazz musician. And each line of this prayer, to improvise on it, to build on it, to riff on it. You might pray that prayer, give us today our daily bread. And you might pause and bring before God your needs. The needs of your family. The needs of the world. 
you might get to the line and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you might pause and say, God, forgive me for yesterday. I, 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 was, I lied and I shouldn't have done that. Please, would you forgive me? Thank you that you're a forgiving God. And would you help me to forgive my friend? And then you might get to that line, lead us not from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. And you might pause and think about your day and the moments where you feel you may be tempted. It is a powerful prayer. Our masterclass from the master himself. To him be the glory and the praise and the honor. Amen.